Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse and their accomplishments. I'm your host, Aline Sims, and today I am joined by Ashley McDonald. Ashley, welcome. Oh, hi, what's up? Not much. How are you doing? I'm good. Good. Um, so who are you, Ashley? Such a deep philosophical question <laughs> to always start with. Um, all right, so I work in the publishing industry in editorial departments. I've always kind of worked in a mashup of tech and publishing because I live in San Francisco. Um, and I've worked at Byliner and I currently work at Scribd. I've also done some freelance writing. Uh, I do a podcast about Digimon called Poddigis. And yeah, I play video games and watch other anime in my free time. Nice. So um, I don't know a lot about Digimon, actually. Can you tell me about it? About Digimon? Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, Digimon is a kid show that came out in 1999, I believe, when we were like nine. It aired on Fox Kids and stuff. Um, and so my boyfriend's really like had such nostalgia for it that he was like, let's start a Digimon podcast. So it's just me, him, and one of our friends and his brother currently join the podcast. Um, and yeah, so then, I mean, Digimon is like kind of a ripoff of Pokemon, but not really. <laughs> um, it was made to sell, you know, toys like Tamagotchi and stuff. Mm. Um, but actually right now it's having a resurgence because there's a new season that's been announced. That's actually a continuation of the first two seasons. Oh, wow. Um, and those are the only two seasons that have been set in the same universe. Like it always refreshes itself to have new mechanics and stuff every season. Um, but yeah, now they've announced, you know, like 15 years later that they're going to make a new continuation of that. So we're like, perfect. That's unusual. Yeah. It's super weird. So what, what do you talk about for, you've done many episodes, right? For a two season show. Um, how do you find new things to talk about for, for a podcast on it? Um, well, I mean, it, it has currently seven seasons. Oh, it is up to seven. Okay. Yeah, but um, yeah, we're currently on only on the second season. And I mean, we just watch like a batch of episodes every time and then try to come up with topics. And one of our recurring topics normally is actually a gender topic where we are like, Digimon, it's terrible with gender is normally how that conversation goes. Um, but we discuss in various ways, like how it was terrible. And sometimes like me and the other co-host, that's not my boyfriend, like get into arguments with Jeff because he disagrees. And <laughs> so it's kind of fun. <laughs> how, how is it, it bad on the gender front? Um, well, I mean, there's always a gender imbalance. You know, there's like a set group of kids that have Digimon partners that are the main focus of the show. I think eight is probably the most that there ever was. Um, so it's never divided. Like there's never four boys and four girls or anything. It's always you know, like two, two or three girls and everybody else is a boy. And the leader is always a guy. <laughs> and the, the dub is very interesting in that it inserts a lot of gender jokes that were not in the Japanese because we've gotten a lot of flack from people that have been like, it's not cool to analyze a show for sexism and stuff when it's from Japan. And we're like, okay, that's that's kind of valid, but the English dub took so much liberty with its translation that we feel like it's just an entirely different show that's been Americanized for the dub. So we're like, it's it's kind of valid for us to 
talk about this line that was not in the Japanese um, and say that it's sexist in the American culture. Um, a prime example was in one episode, there were, this is kind of complicated to explain, I guess, but <laughs> I'll try. Yes. Um, it was like, it was very subtly insidious to me. So there was like, there were one, there were three original like Digidestined, which are the kids that are like chosen to have Digimon or whatever. And then there was a new one there and they found this, uh, Digi egg that Digimon come out of Digi eggs. Cause you know, why not? <laughs> and, then, um, and it had the crest of courage on it and they all have crests that symbolize like their best trait. Okay. So the previous leader was the crest of courage and he was like, well, it should be mine, but I can't pick up this Digi egg. So then the two older, other Digidestin, it was one guy and one girl were like, okay, we're going to try. So in Japanese, they both just try. The guy goes first, then the girl goes after him. And it's just like, whatever, we both failed. And then the new guy goes and he picks it up and it's fine. But in English, they made it that when the girl goes, she's like, this is a job for a woman or something like that. And then the guy, like when she fails, the guy is like, oh, too bad we don't have a real woman here to do it or whatever. Oh, wow. And I was like, uh. And then I read so many other layers onto the scene because of that line, because they like made failure a reason, like gender a reason for failure. Right. Um, then I was like, well, they clearly wanted all the guys to go first, like including the new one. But then they were like, oh, but he's new. So we have to have all the old Digidestin try first. So then we have to make an excuse for why the girl would go in front of him. And I was like, oh, my God, it's so terrible. <laughs> it's just like compounded itself on top of each other and jeff was like i think you're you're reading more into it than it is and i'm like all right mm. even if we don't read all the other layers into it it's still like they made gender a reason for failure they initially wanted it to be a reason for success but that was clearly never going to happen so it was right. always a reason for failure and yeah there's just and in, the, in the first two seasons the main two girls are like one of them is very traditionally traditionally feminine and the other is very much a tomboy but then it as you go along it's explained that like the tomboy one you know she sees like the error in her ways of trying to be a boy or something and then becomes, she becomes more feminine yeah she becomes more feminine she's like oh like she grows up to be like a fashion designer or something it's really ridiculous oh <laughs> you know it's um that reaction is interesting, you know, from from Jeff saying that he thinks you're reading too much into it, because I feel like that a lot of the time about myself, you know, I, I'm continually analyzing things. And, and I start thinking about things. And I'm like, I'm thinking about this way too much. Like, this is a TV show. I'm thinking about it way, yeah. way, way too much at this point. But on the other hand, it's like, but these, these subversive, you know, these not on the surface things that I'm thinking about are still undercurrents in our society. Like, like all of this is here for a reason and it's all, it's, it's all either, I don't know, reflecting our society or, or bucking against it. And, um, I don't know. I, I think it's really, I don't know. Interesting. I guess that we just, these layers that we peel apart and read into and, and analyze and, and how strongly they can color the way we feel about a scene or a character or 
a, a seasonal arc or whatever. Yeah, I definitely think it's like, like sometimes it's very blatant in Digimon when they're being sexist, like whatever. I don't even want to talk about those things because I'm like, they're just there. And right. if you don't think it's sexist, then I can't help you. I don't know. <laughs> like, uh, But yeah, definitely the subtle things. It's like, it's fun to get into arguments with Jeff because like, Jeff is very well-meaning. Like, I know he does not intend to be sexist, but he inherently can't really understand what it's like to be a woman that mm. deeply. Like, it can't hurt him as much as it does hurt me or anything, so. Yeah, and I think it's 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 hard to see. It's just, you know, it's like, oh, that felt really icky to me, you know? And, and my husband can't be like, well, I mean, he could, but... You know, he can't understand why that felt icky. Like, I can explain it to him, but he'll be like, okay, you know, I guess, whatever. But yeah. Yeah. Something else that um, you and I talked about, like, really, really briefly on Twitter, and I knew that I'd be talking to you today, so I thought maybe we could delve into it more, is Guardians <laughs> of the Galaxy and oh, how, <laughs> <laughs> and how, so I, I've only seen it in the theater and I will watch it again someday when I'm like in a mood where I think I can handle it yeah but um so the thing about Guardians of the Galaxy is so many people came out of that show think saying how wonderful it was so I was so pumped to see it and I go in yeah. and I see it and there are all of these sexist messages and and and, and misogynistic themes that just made my blood boil and then I, I come out and I'm like, I hate this movie. And everybody was, yeah. what, what are you talking about? It's wonderful. And, you know, I have friends who've literally watched it two dozen times now. And Ugh. I just I just couldn't get past the sexism in it. And you were talking about um, also ableism in it. And so I thought those were two things that maybe we could talk about a little bit. Yeah, sure. Uh, with the sexism, I've only seen it once in theaters as well, so I might not remember it, like, super perfectly. Yeah, that's my disclaimer, too. <laughs> if I get details wrong, I'm sorry. Yeah. But, I mean, I remember, like, I was like, oh, the main girl, I don't even remember her name, but she was, like, she was pretty cool. But then I just felt like there were at least, I counted, like, three times that she had to be saved by Star-Lord, and I was like, ugh, whatever. <laughs> and... I don't know. Truthfully, the ableism did, like, get to me more. Um, and the ableism with was with, um, is his name Rocket the Raccoon? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, like, he makes at least two jokes in which he, you know, wants to steal a disabled person's, like, whatever helps them be less disabled. Mm -hmm. Like, he steals, he makes them steal an artificial leg mm -hmm. from some random guy. And then he makes a second joke about wanting to steal the artificial eye of some other person. Um, so the first time, you know, it was a whole elaborate plot. It's in the very beginning when they're, like, breaking out of jail. Um, and he's like, I need this item, this item, and this artificial egg from mm -hmm. this guy. So they go through, they get manage to get all the things, you know, in the nick of time or whatever. And then he's like, oh, I didn't actually need that artificial egg. I just wanted to see the guy's, like, reaction when you stole it from him. Ha ha ha. Yep. And so I actually really, really laughed at that first moment because I thought it was pretty funny. But then when he made the second joke about wanting to steal the guy's eye, I was like, wait, this is this is super terrible. Right. <laughs> like, and I mean, I've gotten into arguments with people about this, too, of like, but in the movie, isn't 
he like, you know, his friends look down on him for making those jokes. And I'm like, yeah, they look at him a little like, come on, dude, why'd you make us do that? And like, that's not cool. We wasted our time. It's just not cool. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, but in the end, he's still like a hero. He's still somebody that you're like, oh, he's supposed to be cool. And I want to be like him. Right. So it's like, I don't think there was enough like outright condemnation of that to warrant both of those jokes being in there like and they're like oh but it's supposed to be a characterization thing like it's supposed to make him you know seem like a really big jerk that he is and i'm like yeah but there's any number of ways that you can do that like in the first whole elaborate scene he could have stolen he could have made them steal anything right that was superfluous to the escape plan he could have just been like oh i didn't actually need that i just wanted to make you like struggle or whatever it didn't have to be an artificial leg. Like, I don't know. Well, yeah. And, and it's it's like this escape scene. So they're they're in this maximum security prison trying to get out. And, you know, turns out it's really not that hard to escape from it if you've got whatever. But <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, so so what it, it's like this this really locked down hard place to escape from. And you're going to spend time making a joke and potentially like. I don't know, endangering your lives um, just, yeah. just so that you can, like, do, I don't know. Just have a laugh at a disabled person who can't walk now because you stole his leg. Right. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And like, and I get it. Yeah. Rocket's a jerk. He's self-centered. He's self-conscious and compensating and, you know, for being a, a talking raccoon and whatever. <laughs> like, I totally get that. But I agree with you that they could have done other things. Like... I don't know. It's just bad. It was just bad. And then they have, um, you know, Gamora is this beautiful, you know, green skinned lady who's badass and, you know, could, you know, knock anyone, you know, into next week. And they're yeah. talking about like they're calling her names. She has to oh, be yes. rescued. And I'm like, why? Why are you calling her? I don't even know if this is a word that needs to be bleeped. <laughs> Why are you calling yeah, her I mean, a whore? Yeah. You know, when, like, obviously you've cast this character to be a beautiful, capable woman and you're calling her names and you're making her helpless. Like, this is ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And the guy who called her the W word, do we normally say that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, like, who said that repeatedly is supposed to be of, like, the race or whatever of people that just tells the blunt honest truth all the time right mm -hmm. so like him saying that is like wow women are just always the w word thanks okay like what right i don't know yeah super awful yeah <laughs> yeah and i've been i've been surprised by the number of you know like feminists and and advocates who didn't call this stuff out i kind of felt like i've been screaming into the silence and screaming into the void about it because I'm like, wait, this this was not okay. And and a lot of the people I know are just nothing. They're like, yeah, I thought it was a really good movie. And yeah, it surprised me. Yeah, I definitely have seen much more of a reaction of like, oh, it's it's a good movie. And then when I say stuff, they're like, oh, yeah, but it's still like a great movie and it's still better than other movies. And I'm like, oh, great. The bar is so low that it's it's better than other movies. Right. So just get over it. Yeah. Uh. It's, it's less sexist than a movie from 1940. So what do you yeah. want? What do you want? 
I don't know. <laughs> so you work and have worked for publishers and publishing platforms. And yes. So I, I'm assuming this means that you're a pretty avid reader. Uh, yes. I'd say I read about a book a week, probably. Oh, yeah. I'm so jealous. <laughs> so what kind of books do you enjoy? Um, well, I actually really enjoy reading YA. Like, when I'm left to my own devices, I'll read a bunch of YA. But then, you know, I, I frequently press against, like, the elitism of publishing. Because everybody's super into, like, literary fiction or whatever. And even in that phrase, it's very elitist. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, like, the stuff by Dave Eggers and whatever is going to win the Pulitzer Prize this year. Like, everybody's always reading that stuff and being like, oh, it's so good and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, whatever. But I read some of it just because, like, I'm in book clubs that read it or whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then right now I'm actually also in a book club that mostly reads, like, fantasy and sci-fi. But yeah, I just kind of read like whatever I feel like. <laughs> so two of my favorite YA authors are John Green and Maureen Johnson. And John Green, less for his writing and more for, you know, the stuff he's done on YouTube. Um, I actually am kind of on the fence about his writing. But Maureen Johnson um, has an ongoing series of like the supernatural fiction that takes place in London that I absolutely adore. Uh, what's it called i feel like i'm better at like the shades of london ah oh she's the person who wrote um 13 little blue envelopes that's pretty popular on yeah so yeah i see that all the time that's that's cute it's a good little book too (laughs) uh but yeah i'm also very much on the fence about john green actually um I mean, okay, I'll confess that one of my favorite books is actually A Walk to Remember by Nicholas Sparks, which sounds very, very gross. And it is. And I will recognize all the problems with that <laughs> book. But, like, I still love it. I, w- I mean, I was, like, 13 when I read it, and I feel like it actually did very positive things to me um, in a way that I was a girl who played on boys' hockey teams until I was, like, 15 and starting at 7. So I kind of was, like, very much a hater of all things feminine, and, like, I internalized all the harmful, masculine, stereotypical tropes. Mm -hmm. Um, So then reading that book, I was like, oh, I actually, like, feel really sad, and, like, this moved me, so now I just feel like, I don't know. It did some positive things. I mean, it has a bunch of gross, like, religious undertones, nastiness to it, but, like, fine. so in a way, I feel like The Fault in Our Stars is trying to be the more, like, literary uh, A Walk to Remember. Oh, I could see that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, John Green is just like, I just can't deal with the way that he writes teenagers, which is his all of his books. But, like, just their voice always just, he, I mean, he's, you know, a very well-educated white man. So then I feel like all of his characters just speak like that. And I'm like... I don't think every teenager in America is, like, super witty and smart all the time. <laughs> like, and super ironic. Yeah, and yeah. super ironic. And, I mean, he's always doing the, what's the trope called? Gosh, the thing that the Paper Towns is supposed to be a deconstruction of, the Manic Pixie Dream Girl trope is just, like, all of his characters. I'm like, ugh, can't deal with this. Yeah, uh, I read Paper Towns a few years ago, and I just couldn't. 
it, I just couldn't. It did not resonate with me. I could not get into it. And I kept, it was like the Twilight series. I read all of the Twilight books because people loved Ooh, it me too. so much. And, and I was like, it, this has got to get good at some point, you know, and, and, <laughs> and I kept reading and it wasn't getting better. And so I'm like, okay, well, the next book, it's got to get good at some point. Ooh, and pretty no. soon, you know, I, I've read all four books and felt, you know, pretty betrayed by society as a whole. But that's kind of how I felt about Paper Towns, too, is like I kept reading and reading and reading. And I was like, okay, well, it's going to get good. It's going to get good. It's going to. And it just never, never got good. And now they're making a movie out of it. And I was like, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Well, Paper Towns is just like, you know, he's come out and said it's supposed to be a deconstruction of the Manic Pixie Dream Girl thing. But I didn't know that until after I read it. And I read it recently, like only a couple months ago. Uh, so then I read it and I was like, why did you make this like, you know, very blatantly Manic Pixie Dream Girl? Like, <laughs> I just don't understand. Like, It didn't feel like a deconstruction. Is no, the problem. I agree. Yeah. <laughs> No, uh, it was yeah. very angsty and from, you know, a crush's point of view, which is also I'm partway through looking for Alaska and I'm like, this is basically oh, yeah. the same book. Yeah, well, that one gets more tragic, but yeah. <laughs> so, um, but what other, what young adult authors do you enjoy? Uh, I feel like I don't really follow like authors. I just read very popular series. Gotcha. <laughs> Um, I mean, The Hunger Games is by far oh, my so good. favorite thing ever, <laughs> I think. Um, I read, I really like Chaos Walking series by, uh, Patrick Ness. Although I, I also have problems with, like, gender in that too, but that's fine. <laughs> it's overall, like, very, it's very different from a lot of things that you would read. Maybe because he's mostly an adult author who just wrote, you know, this mm. one-off thing. Um, I really love 13 Reasons Why by Jay Asher. I would say that, like, yeah, those are pretty my, like, uh, The Hunger Games and 13 Reasons Why are pretty much my big things. Oh, I also really love Sarah Dessen because I love, like, sweet romance stuff mm -hmm. is, a, is pretty much the theme that's coming out here. <laughs> um, but yeah, I feel like The Hunger Games just, like, blew my mind when I read it. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was really good. Yeah. I mean, everybody's like, it's just like Battle Royale, and I'm like, like a worse Battle Royale, and I'm like, I think you're missing the point of both of the things, if you think that. Because, <laughs> um, I mean, Battle Royale is supposed to be a deconstruction of, like, how rigged the Japanese school system is, because it's really, they have to, like, they go to, like, cram school when they're in, like, middle school, because they have to compete to get into high schools. Right to then compete to get into college. So it's supposed to be that. And like the violence in it, at least in the movie is much more brutal. And like, I don't know, I didn't like it because I thought the kids got way too into it way too quickly. Like they all become like, yeah, I'm going to kill you. Like their careers. They're just right. like automatically careers from the Hunger Games. <laughs> um, and I'm like, uh, okay. Um, and then, you know, the Hunger Games is just more critique of like media in America. Because it's set in apocalyptic America, yeah. like, yeah, dystopian America. Um, but I thought it blew my mind in a way, like, with gender, um, because ugh, it's so problematic in a way that's, like, The Hunger Games very rarely talks about gender. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't use it, it, use it as an excuse for, like, 
failure or anything like that. Like Katniss is never like I can't do oh, it. In the girl. Yeah, or like there's never any talk of like, oh, they pick a boy and a girl from each district and it's not fair because you know, girls end up losing the Hunger Games more often. Like that's never that's never said. <laughs> that's and like Katniss is very forthright with her, you know, with her shortcomings. Like she'll be like, Oh, I'm a short girls and like clearly Kato could come and just punch me and I'd die or something but like <laughs> I also like she's also like well I have strengths and I feel like that's how Katniss is with everybody like it becomes problematic in that in our culture you know like people are like well Gail is totally cooler than Peta because Gail you know encompasses more of a stereotypical masculine traits mm-hmm. um and they're like, well, Peter, he just, he's weak and sucky. But, mm-hmm. like, Katniss would never say that. Like, she gets mad at him once when they're walking through the woods and she's trying to hunt. And he's like, she's like, well, he can't, your footfalls are too loud because, like, you're not used to this and your leg was hurt or whatever. Um, But, like, Katniss is like, oh, he has plenty of other strengths. Like, he talks. Like, he's super well, good at speaking. He's always, he will protect me. Like, he is strong. Blah, blah, blah. Like, right. Katniss can just, like, be like, you have strengths and weaknesses. We're going to work with it. It's never like, wow, you suck as a person. <laughs> like, Well, and another thing I really love about, about Katniss is that she is this character, like, she is a caretaker, right? She she takes care of everybody. Um, not everybody, but she, t- she, <laughs> she takes she care. Tries. Right. She tries to take care of the people around her, you know whether that was by necessity or, you know, just because that's how she is, that's what she does. You know, she's she's always concerned about PETA and making sure that he's safe. And that's like a theme throughout all of, all of the books is, you know, she wants PETA to survive and be safe. And um, she does that with her family. But it's not in this, this um, like, matriarchal motherly way. You know, right. she's she's not motherly. She's just, you know, she's like I'm a person, and I have I just I can shoot stuff. I don't know, right, like, right. And she doesn't have any people skills, right? Like she's and right. she doesn't care that she doesn't have any people skills. So she's continually being told, like you know, you gotta you gotta be more personable. People need to like you and whatever. And she's like, I don't care. You know, I'm yeah. I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do, and I really. I respect that so much because I think so often we get stuck in this trope of, you know, the the women being kind and 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 nurturing and whatever and that's not how she is at all. You know, at all. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it becomes kind of problematic to me because I feel like her mother and her sister are more of those tropes, but like again, Katniss is going to be like, "Well, all right, I think that you you can't hunt or anything. Like, you're worthless in that area. But I like that you can actually heal people, like, that you're actually healers and you saved my best friend Gail. And, like, cool, I'm totally down with that. Right. Um, yeah. I've The most problematic thing for me in The Hunger Games is actually about race mm-hmm. um, and racial portrayals. I've gone on many rants about this in various places. Um, But, you know, Katniss is described as being mixed race because her father sounds very indigenous. And then her mother is very much like a 
blonde, blue-eyed, white person. Mm-hmm. Um, but then Katniss is described as having more of her father's traits. Um, and I just find it problematic in that, like, you know, then Rue and, like, all the people from District 12 are described as being, like, black. And, like, I'm like, how did this segregation happen? Right. Uh, I try to rationalize it with it kind of seems like a more environmental factors like the people from the seam are the ones who seem all indigenous uh physically and i thought that's maybe from like working conditions and then the people in town from district 12 are more like aryan sounding and whatever Mm. um but then i find that kind of you know that leads to like kind of like eh, there's segregation it's not really ever blatantly addressed in any way. Uh and it's just it's just white and black. It's you I have Yeah. I'm trying to think if I've seen any other people of color in it. Yeah, there's no like Asians in dystopian America apparently. I don't know why. I just like in the movies too it becomes even more problematic cuz then people are super blatantly racist being like rue rue is black well now i no longer care that she dies i'm like what (laughs) that's super terrible right (laughs) oh my goodness um but then i i felt like in the most recent movie um you know there were very much like very powerful execution scenes Mm -hmm. but i feel like they put the like black faces very front and center because i think it was they were mostly showing scenes from District 11 and District 8, and I, they sort of implied that District 8 was also, like, a black segregated district, uh, mostly. Mm. And so, like, in those scenes, all you see is just, like, you know, a bunch of black faces surrounded by the peacekeepers who are dressed totally in, in white. white. And I'm like, yeah. why? Why? And then, like, Katniss goes to District 8, and she's just surrounded by people of color. Who then are like, Katniss, you're going to fight with us. Like, you're going to be our white savior thing. And I'm like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because, they, I mean, they made Katniss white in the movie instead of some mixed race anything. They were like, yeah, whatever. Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. And well, I'm like, ugh. Yeah. Well, why? and I don't know why, but I had it, as I was reading the books, I had it in my mind that um, Finnick was black. And so when I saw the movie, I was like, I was really disappointed that he's like this blonde haired golden boy. And I was like, wait, like this is not my mental image of who he is. And yeah, I mean, like he's supposed to have like bronze skin, right? Or right. Like, and yeah. I think that's what made me think that he was, you know, not a tan white person, but a person of color. And I was I'm still disappointed that you know, that he wasn't cast differently and that, you know, in the first movie, you know, two of the tributes are black and I, and I don't that's know. all, yeah. Yeah. It's like two out of twelve people and everybody else is white. And can we talk about the current composition of America and how, you know, what would that be <laughs> to a sixth of, you know, Five sixths of America is not white, so yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It also is like, you know, the arguments of Katniss being made white in the movie are also apply to like Hamish and Gale because they're supposed to have the same physical characteristics as Katniss, and I'm like, well, they made them white too, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, 
Yeah. So then I find it problematic that Katniss, in the books too, you know, she ends up being with PETA. Spoiler alert. I know. <laughs> she ends up with PETA. <laughs> um, and just like, there is a passage in Catching Fire. It's like a whole paragraph where she just describes his eyelashes and how they're so blonde and long and like, she's like, I don't know how he blinks and like, they don't get all tangled up. And it just felt like super. I don't remember that. It's when she um, hurts her foot or whatever, and she has to be in bed for a week. And then Peta comes to her house and they like paint pictures of uh, plants and stuff to add to her father's book. And so she's just sitting there, like, watching him paint stuff and being yeah. like, yeah, I mean, look at his eyelashes. And it's, it felt really out of character and weird and, like, praising yeah. of blonde eyelashes. <laughs> I was going to say, I've been with my husband at this point for, uh, like, seven, over seven years, and I could not describe his eyelashes to anybody. Exactly. You know, like, it's not something that I sit and gaze upon. Yeah. <laughs> but Katniss, Katniss can tell you all about Peter's yeah, eyelashes. Yeah, well, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I um I was okay with the way the series ended. I didn't love it. It felt a little forced and disingenuous to me. But on the other hand, I started thinking about like, okay, well, these two people have this shared trauma and there's no one else who fully shares this experience. I mean, everybody's been through a war at this point, but like this yeah. This really, truly shared experience. So I guess kind of like that, that as a survival mechanism and as a, you know, this person can really get what I'm going through. I guess I can see it. But, you know, like through all of the books, she's just like, you know, I like PETA. I care about him. But there was like no romantic intention there. And I think, you know. <laughs> yeah. It was just like she wanted him to live because she thought he was a better person, you know, and she she thought he was a better person than she was. And so she was, yeah. you know, I just, I don't know. Yeah. I guess I'm less okay with it now. Now I've only read the series once and it was a couple of years ago and I want to go back and read through it again, but my backlog is so big at this point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I'm going well, to get to. I mean, I have to re I reread all three of them before each movie. So I read it once a year right now. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's why I'm like, I know exactly where all these passages are. <laughs> no. Um, but yeah, I mean, I actually really like Peter and Katniss as a couple. Like, I'm like, yeah, my one true pairing right there. <laughs> um, I just think it's weird that she, like, has these moments where she, like, dwells on his blue eyes and blonde hair and stuff. And I mean, I was okay with the ending because obviously I wanted them to be together. But at the same time, I, like, sometimes I write fan fiction in my head where I'm like, but how could you, how could you kiss him, Katniss, and not be like... Hey, you almost killed me once with your bare hands. Right. Like I don't know. <laughs> How do you get past that? I don't know. How do you get past that part? Yeah. <laughs> like, well, and I really I loved Peta as a character. You know, I remember reading and, you know, being like, "Oh, you know, I hope he lives." And I I was afraid that he was not going to. And so I was glad, you know, cuz I think he's just such a um I think he's He's the most like me of any of the characters in the books. And so ah. I kind of latched onto that, you know, like the um, that kind of caring, compassionate, um, wanting to do more for others, you know, personality. Yeah. And so I think that's part of why is because I, you know, as, as, as awesome as Katniss is and as much as I love that she is 
you know, flawed, so fundamentally flawed um, and, and unapologetic about it. I think it's amazing. PETA is still more like me than Katniss is. So, yeah, I think PETA is doing a good job for me of like being not a very stereotypical male, but also still being really awesome. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I I I identified with Katniss, even though I'm like nowhere near as cool as Katniss. Nobody but. is as cool as Katniss. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think there's a reason that that she is so popular as you know, like a an ideation right now is because you know there are very few people like that, and I think you know it also makes me think about you know we hear about superhero movies and oh people just don't want a female you know we can't have a wonder woman movie because people aren't going to go see that and i'm like but you look at the hunger games and i don't know she's i think katniss is a lot cooler than batman is and i'm probably gonna get in trouble for saying that Um, but oh no i i actually had a debate recently people tried to argue that katniss was a superhero and i was like no I'm just going to shut that down right now. No, (laughs) like the reason that Katniss is so cool is because she's not a superhero. (laughs) Right. And she's just, you know, she's just thrust into the situation and she's doing the best she can. And, you know, and the reason I think she's cooler than Batman is because she's doing all of this on the fly without billions of dollars and a a company to build stuff for her. It's like, hey, I've got a canteen and some rope and a knife. How am I going to survive? And I think that's a lot cooler than Batman. I'm I'm sorry to all of you who love him. (laughs) No, I actually I also really like I'm sort of fed up with superhero movies at this point. And I think Going back to Twilight, actually, I have such a love-hate relationship with Twilight. <laughs> I I read all four books. I watched three, the first three movies. Mm-hmm. Um, but I actually want to talk about something that, like, I forget if it's, like, the producer or something said about relating to superhero movies. She was like, you know, guys look at Twilight and they're like, ugh, we can never watch such trash and whatever, like, blah, blah, blah. And then they're like, but then reviewers of, you know, superhero movies will be like, well, it doesn't say anything like intellectual or anything, but it's still a fun ride. And the producer is like, okay, there's like blatantly a gender double standard in those two, you know, reactions to these two movies because they're both, they both have about nothing really deep to say (laughs) intellectually. They're both like fun to different segments of people in the world. But one of them gets totally lambasted by the media and the other is like, oh, it's super fun. Everybody should see it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. So like, yeah, Twilight is super, super divisive. Like all the problems about Bella and anything else, totally valid. Mm-hmm. At the same time, I'm like, but if th- this is like what girls like, it's harking back to some Victorian, like the Cullens are very Victorian white people. Mm-hmm. And then, like, on the Native American front, I'm like, yeah, like, I've had debates about this. Uh, I was part of Native Americans at Brown because I'm actually a quarter Native American, but I don't look it at all. I'm, like, super white and have blue eyes. So, um, but Native Americans at Brown, we, like, watched the second movie together. Okay. And then debated it. Um, And one of the positive points that people pointed out was actually that, like, you know, at least the Native Americans aren't dressed in, like, stereotypical 
headgear. Like they're just normal boys who do like normal things. They live on a reservation. They go to school with the Cullens and like whatever. Fine. (laughs) Just like real life. It's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Whoa, crazy. I mean, it's super bad that Stephanie Meyer like, you know, used all their tradition like this tribe's traditions without asking them and then all these fans go to the reservation to try to take pictures to be like oh look this is where twilight was set and filmed or whatever it's like ah that's not cool right yeah Uh, but yeah but (laughs) yeah and the reason i didn't like it is uh, like okay vampire sparkle all right like i will try to get past (laughs) that I i will do my best to get past that but really what bothered me and i could have i really could have the thing that bothered me was Bella and how absolutely worthless she was. And I know that it's absolutely a judgmental point of view, and um, I probably need to rethink it. But it's like, I just had such a hard time with this, you know, I I, I can't even describe it. <laughs> I mean, Bella is like... Bella does nothing. Things happen to her. She falls in love with, like, a super stalkery vampire. It's super creepy. It's very creepy. (laughs) I just don't... I can't find anything redeeming about Bella to me. But then I also didn't... Like, I've grown up just, like, forsaking everything feminine again. So, like, I'm like, maybe if I was... If I was a different person, like, what would my perspective on this be? And I just... I strongly feel like Bella is not the heroine that we we need in our media right now. But... I'm also curious about, like, why she's become such a powerful, like, that story has touched so many people. And honestly, I was super entertained by the first and third book. It's the second and fourth one that, like, are super blah to me. Like, the second one is where she's... Despondent and... Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The best part of it is when she's, like, the chapters are just January, like, December, January go by, and she does nothing. And I'm like, yeah, that's that's you, Bella. Super (laughs) true. Um, but I mean, she's just pining after Edward being suicidal. It's like super awful. Ugh. Yeah. And then the fourth one is like creepy. It's really creepy. Vampires, babies, half human, uh, half vampire babies, drinking blood. I don't know. It was gross. Yeah. It was in that whole thing with the, the baby and the, the where and Jacob and it was just. Yeah. Oh, that's gross too. Yeah. It was, (laughs) yeah, it was, it was really weird. Yeah, and, you know, I don't know. And I hadn't, I honestly hadn't thought about the portrayal of Native Americans, par- partially because I have not seen the movies. And, yeah. um, like, it was enough reading the books. I just, I could not. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually watched the first movie at, like, 1 a.m. once, and it was just, it was super funny to me. Like, I think the movies understand that it's kind of ridiculous and so they come off as very campy like very purposefully they're very campy so it's kind of fun that <laughs> might be know. okay yeah. yeah um but you know and too i grew up in southwestern colorado where we have um many many native american tribes around us like there's you know the ute the paiute the navajo you know all all around me so it's that was like it's normal, you know, and I've never, yeah. like, my mental image of what an indigenous American looks like is not, you know, in, in modern day, is not, yeah. you know, with a, a headdress and moccasins and whatever. It's like, they shop at the mall, too. It's, yeah. it's, oh, it's okay. It's very hard for <laughs> most people to, like, understand this, though, at least in media portrayals. Like, I don't know. 
Yeah. Well, and I, I, I understand that. Um, I understand how people think that's accurate, I guess, because, you know, there are so many, well, so many areas of the world where they don't have American Indians, you know, and yeah. they just get what Hollywood puts at them. And even, you know, there are pockets of the country, actually, a lot of the country where there aren't indigenous people. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm extremely lucky that I grew up where I did, you know, and I have yeah. a good representation of, of, you know, and I've had many, many friends from different tribes. So I appreciate that about my upbringing. But yeah, it's, it's problematic. It's super problematic. I don't know. I'm super into like, electronic dance music. And apparently it's become a thing where like, white people just go to electronic dance music, like festivals, like ultra music festival and stuff. And are just wearing like Native American headdresses, and I'm like, why? Why are you doing this? Oh, <laughs> why no. are you? Like, why are you like reappropriating? Uh, <laughs> misappropriating. Yeah, Native American culture. So I, um, very very briefly, my mom worked in Taos, New Mexico, on um, the pueblo, and she was helping to set up their childcare center, and, um. The, it was on the reservation. So anytime there was a sacred ceremony happening um, and we would be, you know, going to the center, it was very, very important that it was like you divert your eyes. You, you know, you keep your eyes on the road. You don't look, you, you don't, you don't look around because it's disrespectful. You know, it's their tribal ceremony and you've got to pay attention to that Aline and like these are things that she told me and I can't even imagine I can't even imagine anyone thinking it's okay to just throw on a headdress and and go to something like that you know and I don't or well but but why because we've got the redskins and it's okay for people to go to baseball and football games wearing headdresses so the racist yeah. Washington racist is how I like to refer to them now. <laughs> um, that, that mascot yeah. is definitely not okay. I think it's interesting. Um, you know, there's been a lot of outcry over, yeah, the Redskins, especially. But also, what is the baseball team called? There's like they're the Braves and the Chiefs. Yeah, the Braves. Oh, which one is it? Well, one of them has like also a very stereotypical, uh, you know. Native American, well, the, super red-faced. Is that uh, the Braves? Well, Might the, be the Braves. I can't remember. I'm not a sports person. Um, exactly. I do know that baseball. they have the tomahawk chop, um, which is also very problematic. Um, yeah. Or at least they did. Maybe that's no longer something they do. But yeah, it's, you know, and I see these people, they're like, well, well, if we change the Redskins to something else, then, you know, do we have to change all of the Redskins in all of the places? And I'm like, yeah. yeah. Why, why is this a problem? <laughs> it's just like, ugh, I don't, I don't know why it's such a big deal. <laughs> they have to make new logos or something. I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah, too much work. Yeah. Horrible that these billion dollar corporations can't change their logo. Just the yeah. worst. Ugh. Well, there was a debate about whether the Chicago Blackhawks, which is a hockey team, uh, whether their logo is respectful and whether Blackhawks is respectful because apparently it was supposed to be in homage of uh, some moment in history. 
And it's just like, eh, I don't know. Because hockey is very much a like super mostly like 98% white sport. It is. <laughs> like super elite, super white. So for a hockey team to be called some some Native American name seems like super weird to me. I don't know. Well, I kind of feel like if it's if it's questionable, just get rid of it. You know, and maybe this is because I'm not a sports fan, you know, but I'm like, yeah. you know, you could be the, I don't know, the bulldogs or the, you know, I don't know. And just be an animal. Yeah, just, just like any animal. Why does it, the golden eagles, I mean, just something. Why does it have to be? Because isn't that strange when you, be, it's like Native American tribes and animals are normally what our sports teams are named after. I'm like, are you saying that they're equivalent to animals? Like, I just don't understand. I don't either. <laughs> and that's an interesting point I hadn't thought about either. It's just, exactly. uh, it's bad. It's so bad. Oh, okay. Right, because, yeah, we flagged a bad thing about Twilight is that, you know, they're they're werewolves and they seem savage and... So the Native Americans seem like savage, and they turn into like wild beasts and stuff. <sighs> but it's to yeah. be protective, which is yeah. also, I think, a trope of um, Native American tribes that it's, yeah, you know, all all loving the earth and whatever. And you know, maybe that's true, but I don't know. It just we've got a long way to go. <laughs> so far to go. <laughs> So we are at about 50 or so minutes. Um, is there anything else you wanted to talk about today? Is there anything else you want me to talk about? <laughs> well, we could talk about science fiction books, too. What are you oh. reading in sci-fi? Oh, what was that sound? I haven't really read that much uh, sci-fi. Okay. <laughs> so I've been uh, reading um, James S.A. Corey's, um, which is a pen name, I know, um, The Expanse series. Um, mm. And I think I'm on the third book in that. And it's it's pretty good. I, I have some problems with it, but it's been pretty good overall. If you want to, like an easy, fairly easy to read recommendation. <laughs> I guess my most recent sci-fi that I read was a couple months ago. I guess this is sci-fi? Was um, Nexus by... Uh, I forget who it's by, Nam, like some micro famous Microsoft guy, <laughs> I think. Um, oh, I think I saw him on a panel once. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, now he's writing like a sci-fi series about like some nano drug thing that you you take and then you can be connected to other humans via just, you know, telepathy, but more scientific telepathy. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, and then the whole conflict is, like, the government is like, that's a drug, and it's illegal, and becomes very much like a spy thriller very quickly. <laughs> Interesting. But it was kind of fun. Yeah, the the Expanse series is, you know, it's space and space travel and, um, I don't know, like, uh, kind of genetic warfare, and, um, it's, it's... It's easy to read. Um, it's not like complex, overly complex ideas or, or anything like that. So it was, it's good to like, like I need to turn my brain off and not think. Um, yeah. <laughs> but there have been some like kind of, I don't, 
I don't feel like it's overly sexist, but at the same time, there are very few. So it's one of those where they, it switches narrators. So each mm-hmm. chapter is from someone else's perspective and then, you know, kind of bounces through the cast of characters. And there have been, I guess the second book had two female perspectives in it. Um, but there's like a main character that we only see through the eyes of her ship's captain. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, you keep talking about how important she is and how good she is and how integral she is to all this stuff. So why can't we get some chapters from, you know, her? And then there's some like racial things that I've kind of, um, I've like highlighted and screenshotted and tweeted because I've just been like, ugh, you know, like you'll pointing out the race of only the black man. Like they passed 15 people and then an obese black man. And I was like, Yes. Okay. Oh, this is such a problem. Is like when you're reading stuff, unless it's explicitly mentioned what their race is, like I at least automatically default to white. And I think that's I what too. you're expected mm-hmm. to do is just like you're supposed to think that they're white. And I'm like, this is so terrible. <laughs> yep. Well, and that's something I So, like the Harry Potter movies and Harry Potter itself is that, you know, J.K. Rowling planned everything out. Like, she knew the race of all of her characters and whatever. She didn't talk about yeah. it. And so then we see the movie and we see that Dean Thomas is, is black and it was amazing. And I was like, oh, <laughs> you know, this is really cool. And I love that in her books, it's absolutely a non-issue. But like you said, I hate in myself that I'm reading it. And it's just like everyone defaults to someone who looks like me. Yeah. And also when, I, when I'm when i reading first person things and I don't know what gender they are immediately, I always default to male. Mm-hmm. It's I do really too. terrible. I do too. Well, and then there's um, Neil Gaiman's Ocean at the End of the Lane, where um, the protagonist is never named. So... We go through this whole book and it's it's like he's not described. And, and so like I pictured Neil Gaiman the entire time I was reading it because <laughs> it was just like, all right. But but yeah, but before I found out, yeah, I defaulted to male and that's that's problematic. Yeah, I honestly thought Katniss was because funnily enough, I, when I picked up the whole series, like I had the whole all three books, I like didn't know what it was about at all. I didn't know it was about like this badass girl or anything. And so when I started reading it, I thought Katniss was a dude until like page nine when she has the awkward conversation with Gail about children. And I was like, wait a second, <laughs> what's happening here? It was super, super sad yeah. on my part. But it's, you know, that's that's our default for everything in our society. It's a pro- I keep saying this. It's a problem. It is a problem. Yeah. All right. Well, Ashley, how can people find you online? Oh, well, I am at AshMcD00 on Twitter. What other ways do we find people online these days? I don't even know. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Twitter, podcasts. Oh, yeah. I do my podcast. Yeah. That's just at Podigis. It's like the word prodigious without the R okay. because podcasts. <laughs> nice. And then, um, yeah, any websites or? I have I have a, a blog called Reflection of Reality that I do not update at all frequently. <laughs> but it's reflectionofreality.com. <laughs> um, I also have a half-hearted Hunger Games charity project. That is iVolunteersTribute.org. 
um, where it's, if you see the movie, I would strongly encourage you to, you know, make a donation to a charity that fights hunger uh, um, that matches your ticket price. Yeah. That's neat. It's kind of hard to get people to, you know, spend money on things where they don't get something back. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, that's really cool, though. I like that. All right. Well, Ashley, thank you so much for coming on the show. I've really enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, it was super fun. I love ranting about literature and stuff. So maybe what we should do is um, like pick a book and read it, and then we could do maybe a little mini podcast about it. And the rate I read books would be like three or four months. But, <laughs> but I think that'd be really cool because I've enjoyed, I really enjoyed talking about, you know, Twilight and the Hunger Games with you. So yeah, we can totally do that. Yeah, okay, let's think about this. Okay. <laughs> let's tweet about it. Okay, so. <laughs> sounds great. I hope you have a great day. Hi, you too. Thanks. All right. Bye. Bye. You can find the show on Twitter, at less than or equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to less than or equal.com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, it would be great if you'd leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.